Now turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to two passages of Scripture. First to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 5. This is the next message in our series on the last days. We're working toward getting as many of these in as we possibly can. So we're going to be doing this this morning and uh, hopefully getting to some more next Sunday morning, the Lord willing. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Then we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. Both of these passages I think you'll find to be fairly familiar passages, but I want us to look at them in depth and see how it fits into the picture that we're trying to paint of the last day events. Hebrews 9, 27, It is appointed unto men and women once to die, but after this, the judgment. I want you to catch those words. It's appointed unto men, and of course men in this sense is gender neutral, it's appointed to everybody wants to die. The only exception to that will be the rapture. And the rapture will be a kind of death. You'll be changed and totally transformed in a moment. But it's appointed unto men wants to die. But death is not the end. It's appointed unto men to die. But after that, and this is the part I want you to get because... This is where we'll be going with the message this morning. After that, the judgment. And then from 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now that all, you have to qualify and I'll be doing that. That's all that were ready to meet him when they left here. All that were ready to meet him when they left here. That's the all here. For the sinners, there'll be another judgment. But for all who are ready, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And everyone, that everyone may receive the things, listen to this, may receive the things done in his body according to to that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. And I want to talk to you for a while this morning about the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. Father, we thank you this morning for your wonderful presence that we feel in this place. Lord, we just feel like this morning we're standing on holy ground. <laughs> We're standing on holy ground and we thank you for your wonderful presence and the peace of God that is filling our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray now in these next few minutes as your word goes forth that you will make it sharp and powerful, more powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. May it find its way into our hearts, into our minds, into our spirits. And will you allow the Holy Spirit to use it to prepare us and challenge us for the things that are yet to come upon this world. I pray and ask for that special anointing that only you can give. Make it a special time this morning 
as we endeavor to break the bread of life. And we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. For we ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You'll remember that thus far in this series of messages, I believe we have firmly established the fact that we are indeed living in the last days. In time events are rapidly drawing us closer and closer to the coming of our Lord. In fact, I believe, as we talked a couple of weeks ago in the last message regarding this, I believe that the next great event on God's calendar is the rapture of His church out of this world. He is coming to catch His bride away. He is coming to catch away that church that He said, I'm going to build and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But after that rapture takes place then, what happens next? The rapture is not the end of what we call the end time events. The rapture is really in some respects just the beginning. What happens after the rapture? After we are caught out of here. After we are caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air as the Bible says. Then the big question is for us, for those who are caught up, what is next? What is next? for us in the series of events that the Bible outlines. Well, I believe the next event for the church and those that are ready to be raptured and to be caught up and the dead in Christ that rise at that rapture, I believe the next great event for us then will be our appearance at the judgment seat of Christ. You see, the Bible clearly teaches us that after our transformation, we're going to undergo an examination. After our transformation, after we're transformed and caught up into the air, somewhere then after that, we're going to undergo an examination. We're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And there, we as God's people are going to be judged. Now in the light of that, I want to try to answer three questions this morning. I'm going to ask three questions and try to answer them with regard to our appearance at the judgment seat of Christ. The first question that I want to ask and try to answer is, what is the purpose of this judgment? We're all, we know we're God's children. If we're raptured out of here, we know we were ready to go. So why are we going to a judgment? Why are we going to a judgment seat? If we were ready, if we've been born again, washed in the blood, why are we going to a judgment seat? Well, the Bible teaches us that one day we're going to be judged as His people for the life that we have lived here on this earth. We're going to be judged for the life we're living as a Christian. You didn't become a Christian and just, it's all over till he gets here. You're living a life. You're supposed to be doing something with that life. 
And the Bible makes it clear that one day we're going to give an account for the life that we have lived here on this earth as one of his children. We're going to be given an account, the scripture says, for the things we have done in this body. We're going to give an account for the things we've done in this body, for the way we've lived. And that's the purpose of this judgment seat. Paul puts it this way in Romans 14. He simply says, we're going to give an account unto God. Are you ready for that? Are you ready? What if that trumpet were to sound today? And I don't know how quickly after the sounding of the trumpet and the rapture, this judgment will take place. We, we don't know all of the time sequence after this. But what if, if, if it were today? What if somehow the rapture took place and immediately this judgment took place? Are you ready to stand before him and give an account of your life? You need to think about that. Because one day you're going to do it. One day you're going to do it. Now I want to make something clear here. This judgment that I'm talking about does not have to do with the judgment of sin. Because you see, as a Christian, your sin question has already been dealt with. You've already been forgiven. You came to Jesus and repented. Your sins were dealt with and judged at the cross. And your sins are being judged every day as you walk with Him and are being sanctified daily and cleansed daily and walking with the Master. You're being judged daily. Sin is being taken care of on a daily basis as you yield to Him, as you go to Him. How many of you since you got saved had to go say, Lord, forgive me, I shouldn't have said that. Our sins are being dealt with all along. So this judgment is not to do with our sins. They've been judged. They've been taken care of. For the child of God, the sin question is settled. If you've been born again and you're his child and you're walking with him, the sin question has been taken care of. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. He says, there's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. There's now no condemnation. The very fact that you appear at this judgment means that your sins have already been forgiven. You're a part of the blood-washed church or you wouldn't be at this judgment. You'd be at the other judgment I'll preach about here in another Sunday or two. You'd be at another judgment that you don't want to go to. Believe me, you don't want to go to that judgment. Because when you get there, it's too late. It's too late. So this judgment has to do with his blood-bought church, with his people. Well, then that raises the question, why are we here? If our sin has already been dealt with, why are we having to go to a judgment? Well, the Bible tells us. We're there to give an account of how we've lived and run this race. See, when you came to Jesus, he saved you for a purpose. He saved you to run a race. He saved you to, be, to, to work for him. He saved you to be one of his children. He saved you to help reach the harvest. How many times do I have to say it to you? How many times have I said it over these past few minutes? He didn't save you to sit on a pew. Some of you ain't got that yet because all you're doing is sitting on a pew. 
I know you didn't come to hear this, but that's all right. You, you're going to hear it anyway unless you get up and leave. He didn't save you to sit on the pew. That's why you're at this judgment. One of these days, he's going to judge us. The, 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 our text says on how we've run the race, he's going to judge us on what we've done, whether good or bad. He's going to judge you on what you've done as his child. He's not judging you for sin. Sin's already taken care of. But he's going to judge you for what you've done or haven't done as his child. Here is where our judge, our works are going to be judged and we're going to receive our rewards accordingly. The Greek word for this judgment seat that's mentioned here in our text is the word bima. The Greek word is bima. It's taken from the great Olympic games of Paul's day. In that day in the great Olympic games, they had a special elevated place with a special seat called the bima seat. And when the Olympics were over, the contests were over, the winners of those contests would come before that judge sitting on that bema seat to receive their reward, to receive the trophy or the garland or whatever they were going to receive. They would come to the bema seat to receive their reward. And that's what Paul is telling us here, that this Christian life is like a great contest. And the divine umpire is watching every contestant. <laughs> the divine umpire is watching every one of us. And one of these days he's going to bring us to the beam of seat. And he's going to judge our works. And he's going to judge our lives. And he's going to reward us accordingly. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's what this judgment's all about. The purpose of this judgment is to be judged on the race that we have run and to receive the rewards that we deserve accordingly. That's what this judgment is for. That's what this judgment is for. But now that brings us to a second question. Who is it that's going to judge us? is it that is qualified to sit in this kind of judgment? Who is it that's qualified to judge how I've lived, what I've done or haven't done? Who is it that's qualified to judge my life, to judge my actions, to judge my thoughts, to judge who's qualified to do that? Well, let me tell you, first of all, who it won't be. This is going to make some of you happy. Let me tell you who won't be judging you that day. The preacher won't be judging you. Aren't you glad? <laughs> preacher won't be judging you. Your companion won't be judging you. You get enough of that in this world. You, you <laughs> Your companion won't be judging you. Another church member won't be judging you. Oh, hang on now. Another, don't worry. Sister Bucketmouth is not going to be judging you. Another church member won't be judging you. Your neighbor won't be judging you. You yourself won't be judging you. 
You know who's going to be doing this judging? The Bible says in John 5, 22, that the Father has committed all judgment unto the Son. Speaking of Jesus. The Bible, Paul says in Acts 17, that God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, his Son. You know who our judge is going to be that day? Our judge that day is going to be the one who long ago left the portals of that fair city and came to this world to die on an old rugged cross that we might have it more abundantly. One of these days, our Savior is going to become our judge. Our Savior, the one that bled and died and gave his life. He's going to judge how you've walked and how you've lived and how you've obeyed and what you've done and what you haven't done. He'll be the one sitting on that beam of seat. <laughs> I'm so glad it'll be him aren't you I'm so glad it'll be him because he knows everything he knows every thought he knows every imagination he knows every deed he knows everything and he's fair and he's just and he loves us so much that he came and died for us that we might have life and have it more abundantly. What is the purpose of it? To be judged on the way we've lived. How we've acted. What we've done. And who will be doing the judging? None other than our Savior Himself. The one that died for us and bought us and redeemed us. He'll be sitting on that judgment seat. And you'll walk up to Him and He'll look at you and pass judgment and pass out any rewards that you may be due. Well, that brings me to the third question. What will he examine on that day? When we come before him and stand there to be judged, what is it he's going to be looking at? What is it he's going to be judging? Let's go through them right quickly. He's going to judge, first of all, the quality of your Christian life. He's going to judge the quality of your Christian life. See, when you came to Jesus, you were placed upon a firm foundation. And ever since then, the Bible says, you've been building something. You've been erecting a building. And according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, there are two kinds of construction material that you've been using. You've either been using gold, silver, and precious stones, or you've been using wood, hay, and stubble. The Bible says every one of us are building a building. Since he saved you, put you on a firm foundation, planted your feet on the solid rock. You've been building a big, you've been working on, didn't we used to sing a song, something about working on a building? You've been working on a building. And the Bible says there's only basically two kinds of material you can be using, gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. What are you building with this morning? What are you building with this morning? 
Are you using materials supplied by the indwelling Holy Spirit? Or are you rummaging through the mess of this world and trying to build a life through the junk of this world? I won't stop and just let it sink in. I know this isn't shouting material, but it's something you need to hear. We need to hear. What are you building with? What are you building with? Gold, silver, precious stones, the things the Holy Spirit supplies you? Or are you just rummaging around in this world gathering up any old stuff you can gather together? One day at the judgment seat of Christ, our building is going to be tried in the fire. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, one of these days, your building is going to be set on fire to see if it will burn or not. And you know what the Bible says? That judgment seat when your building is set on fire, if it's built with gold, silver, and precious stones, guess what? They don't burn, they just refine. But if your life's been built on everything else, it's all going to go up in smoke. I'll talk about that toward the end of this list. So in other words, what he's going to do is judge the quality of your Christian life. What are you building this morning? Second thing he's going to judge are the words that we've spoken. Now fasten your seatbelt. These things get kind of tight. Matthew 12, 36, Jesus said, listen, this is Jesus now, not the preacher. This is Jesus. How many times have I told you when he speaks, you ought to really listen. Jesus says, every idle word that men shall... you know you better be careful about the words that we speak we, we better be careful about the words that we speak why because you're going to meet your words one day you ever had your mama tell you or somebody tell you you go eat them words one of these days how many of you know they would tell you the truth you're going to eat them one of these days you're going to stand before the bema seat and the one that gave his life for you is going to look at you and want to know why you talked that way. Why did, you, why did you do that? You know how much it disappointed me when you did it? Do you understand? This is the judgment seat of Christ. Why are these words so important? Two quick things. They're important because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. These words are important because it's revealing what's really in your heart. Do you understand when you open your mouth, 
and you're ranting and raving or on the telephone or whatever, do you realize you're, you realize you're, you're exposing what's in your heart? And then the Proverbs writer says, the reason we better be careful is because death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I heard somebody talking just this week. They didn't know what I was going to be preaching this morning. But I heard somebody talking just this week. And they were talking about an individual that from the time they were a child, they grew up with a mother that didn't know how to use her tongue. Was browbeaten and... and, 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 and and they were talking about the, the, the mental damage it did to that child. And it's carried over into her adulthood. And now she's treating her children the same way. And I listened to that story this week. And I thought about what I'm preaching. There's death and life in the power of your tongue. Be careful how you wag it. Be careful how you use it. There's death in your tongue if you're not careful. And one of these days you're going to stand in front of the judge on the Bema seat. And he's going to want to know why. Why did you talk? Why did you disappoint me like that after I bled and died for you? And you became my child and I've forgiven you. You asked me to forgive you of your sins, but why did you talk that way? Why didn't you leave your life better? What's the third thing he's going to look for? He's going to, he's going to judge the use of our gifts. I don't have to spend much time here. I've already preached a sermon in essence on this. You remember when we did the stewardship series? We talked about the fact that he's gifted every one of us in this Every one of you have a gift. A spiritual gift. Some of you have more than one. But everybody in this building, according to the Bible, has at least one. How are you using that gift? You remember the story in Matthew 25 of how he brings the servants to one he gives five talents, to another he gives three, to another he gives one. And then you remember he comes back from that far country. We've preached through all this. And he said to them, now what did you do with what I gave you? The first two had doubled them. The one had five, said, I now got ten. The one had three, said, I now got six. One had one, said, oh, well, I just know you're a hard man. I just took it and buried it. But here it is. I still got your talent. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. You remember what happened? He said, those first two enter on in. Well done, good and faithful servant. But you remember what he said to the third one? You get out of here. You're going to answer for the way you've used your gifts. I, I, I really wish I could just camp here for an hour. And just, and just do, do one of the sermons I have on the gifts. Folks, I, I cannot, I cannot listen to my heart. Listen to me. I cannot overly stress how important it is for you to use your gifts. Get up off those pews. And come to the leaders of your church and say, where can you use me? What can I do? We're desperately needing some people right now in some leadership positions. Desperately. And we're having trouble finding anybody 
that'll say, okay, I'll help. What are you doing with your gifts? You're going to, hell, you're going to tell the Bema judge one of these days. You're going to tell him. You know, remember, you're not going to answer the preacher. You're going to answer to him. We're going to be judged on the use of our gifts. Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 6. He said, stir up the gift that is within you. <laughs> well, stir up the gift. I wish I had a magic stirrer this morning that I could just run around here and stir somehow. I'd like to get in to stir you. Stir up the gift that's within you. Stir up, because one day you're going to stand in front of the Bema seat and he's going to want to know, what did you do with the gifts I gave you? I gave you the ability to sing. Why didn't you get in that choir? I gave you the ability to talk and teach. You'd have made a good teacher. And they're struggling for teachers and uh, you're too busy. Do I need to go on? If I don't watch it, I'll spend that hour right there. I'd, that's a whole sermon within itself. He's going to judge us on the use of our gifts. Fourthly, and I got to finish, he's going to judge our attitude and our conduct toward other believers. Watch this one. He's going to judge our, our attitude and our conduct toward other believers. Romans 14, Paul gives a searing passage. You need to read Romans 14. You need to read it today, if you possibly can, at least by tomorrow. Paul gives a searching passage about our attitudes and our behavior towards other people, especially Christians. And one of the big things he, and here's another message all by itself. One of the big things he points out in that, in that chapter is the fact that we have no right to judge other Christians. Why? Well, what did I tell you a while ago who the judge is going to be? It ain't going to be you, so why are you doing it now? Well, did you hear what she said? Well, who made you the judge of what she said? Well, I know what she meant. How, oh, you read minds now. You know the intents of hearts now. Nah. Back. No, you don't. Listen to me, folks. I, I know I'm, I may be sounding hard, but this is hard stuff when you stop to think about it. Listen to me. We have no right, according to Paul, to condemn or judge other Christians. Why? Because there are some matters of conduct that are simply a matter between a person and his Lord. God knows how to judge my intent. God knows how to judge my intent. God knows how to judge me. He, he is the only one who knows why I did what I did in that particular situation. And if you were walking in my shoes, you might have done the very same thing I did, and yet you want to judge me for it. How do you know what you'd done if you'd been in my shoes? But he knows. He knows why I did it. And he's dealt with me if I, if I stepped out of line. I'm his child. He's dealt with me. He 
said, those I love, I discipline. Amen. He'll whoop you. <laughs> I mean, have you ever had the Lord whoop you real good? <laughs> I mean, have you ever had that happen? He's going to judge our attitudes and our conduct towards other Christians, especially towards other Christians. One of the most destructive habits, listen to this one, I'm going to get off of it. One of the most destructive habits among Christians is the habit of criticizing and condemning others. Let me say it one more time. One of the most destructive habits among Christians, church people, is the habit of criticizing and condemning other people. Especially other people in the church. Paul says in this chapter I'm talking about, and I, again, I wish I had time to preach it. Paul says instead of criticizing and condemning, we're supposed to be doing what? Edifying one another. We're supposed to be edifying one, encouraging one another, lifting one another up. Is that what you're doing? The judge is going to open the books one of these days. And he's going to ask about your attitudes and your conduct. And then last, he's going to examine us on our inner motives our inner motives will be examined. Jesus talked about that one day. He watched people giving money in the temple, you remember? The rich man came by. He made such a show of what he gave. He, he looked around to be sure everybody happened to be standing there in the temple saw it that day. He pulled it out and probably just counted it out. Bill after coin after coin. Clink, did you hear that one? Clink, did you hear that one? Clink. Made a big show. After him, a little widow woman came by. She had one little mite left. Less than a penny in that day. And she just slipped up to the offering plate. I can imagine almost feeling embarrassed because of what she'd just seen that guy do. And she just quietly and humbly dropped her little mite into the basket and slipped on away. But Jesus said, I tell you, that woman gave more today than that rich man did. Because he gave out of his abundance. Didn't hurt him a bit to give what he gave. But she gave the last penny she had. Gave the last thing she had. See, he sees your motive. He sees your motive even for giving. He sees you. You say, well, preacher, I sing in the choir. Why? Why? He's going to judge your motive. See, you, you need me doing some things you're supposed to be doing it, but doing for the wrong motive. to judge the motives for which you did it. 
of these things. Let me sum it up this way, and I'm, I'm finished. 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, the Bible says, The Lord will bring to light, listen to this, He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. One of these days at this judgment seat, this beam of seat, come on Rhonda, this beam of seat, He's going to bring to light the hidden things and make manifest the counsels of the heart. What he's saying is on that day when you stand there, all of the inequities that have happened are going to be made straight. All of the things as his people that we've endured, sometimes the criticism, the gossip, the backbiting, the whatever, sometimes the people judging us wrong, sometimes even our attitudes that we let get out of hand. All of the things that are not right in this life. How many of you know that sometimes in this life, things just aren't right? There are times in life when things just aren't right. I've had people say, that's just not fair. Yep, probably right. How many of you know there's a day coming though when everything's going to be made right? Everything's going to be explained. Everything's going to be rectified that needs to be. Everything's going to be made clear. The record is going to be set straight. Everything's going to be justified that needs to be justified. All of that's coming when the judge on the Bema seat says to one of his children, I know you got criticized constantly for this, that, but, that, but now let me explain to the whole crowd why you were doing what you were doing. He's going to make it, he, he's going to explain, he's going to rectify, he's going to justify, he's going to make it, everything will be brought to light at that judgment seat. Here's the bottom line. That time for many people is going to be a time of loss. Now, again, you're saved. We're talking about the children of God that have been forgiven, that have asked Him to come into their heart, become their Savior, but they've not lived their life like they should have. They've The quality of their life is lacking. The words they've spoken... They've not used their gifts properly. And now he's going to judge that and determine what reward you get, if any. Watch this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.15 that if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Remember I talked about the fire and the burning? At that judgment seat, what you've been, you're building, everything you've been building is going to be put in the fire. And if you've been building out of the right stuff, it's going to stand. If you hadn't, 
your whole life, even as a Christian, could go up in smoke. And you stand there before him, the one that died for you and bled for you. And you stand there in front of him and have to drop your head and say, Lord, I didn't do one single thing for you that could survive the fire. Do you want to stand there like that on that day? After he died, after he left the portals of glory, came to this earth and died like he died, and saved you, redeemed you, forgave you? You really want to stand there before him that day then? And your whole life go up in smoke? because of the lack of quality in your life because of the word you use because you couldn't keep your tongue under control because you wouldn't use your gifts because of your attitude and your conduct you want to stand there and watch everything go up in smoke and have to stand there in front of him with his nail scarred hands and say Lord in the end I've got nothing to offer you For what you did for me. <laughs> I've got nothing to offer you but smoke and ashes. You're going to that judgment seat. If you're his child, you're going to that judgment. Are you ready? Years ago, one of our former enough, well, a lot of you are old enough, but you may not remember him. He was one of our conference superintendents, one of the great ones. And he was a tall, kind of slim, stately man. My wife loved him. He was her boyfriend till the day he died. He was a stately. He was what you call a church statesman. A great man. A great man. One of the things I'll never forget about Dewey Yates. Every year at camp meeting, and I used to have a lot to do with the music there, you remember? Some of you would. I led the camp meeting choir for several years. Brother Dewey always wanted us to sing. Somewhere during the camp, he said, you sing my song. Brother Marley, would you sing my song? You know what his song was? That old song we used to sing, Will There Be Any Stars in My Crown? When at evening the sun goeth down. I've never forgotten him standing on that stage and the choir would sing. His face would just glow. And he'd raise his hands. And I knew with his heart he was saying, Lord, will there be any stars in my prayer? Will I have lived well enough? Will I have lived well enough? there'll be something 
that can stand the fire? Will there be something that I've given you, something that I've done for you that will stand the fire? Will there be any stars in my crown? I won't ask you this morning. Will there be any stars in your crown? When at evening the sun goeth down. When I stand with the blessed in those mansions of rest, the song said. Will there be any stars?